You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. Of course, my name is Maurice Cherry. And as always, before we get into this week's interview, I want to give it up for our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. You can join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. Sign up for a free account at MailChimp.com. If you need a new domain for your next project, then check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. Go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code BACKTOSCHOOL and save 10% off your purchase. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more starting at only $2. They give away a selection of free goods every Monday. Of course, today is Monday. And they've got great bundle promotions every month. And if you see something else that you like, you can use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. This episode is also sponsored by Jopwell. Now, there's been a lot of media surrounding the lack of diversity in tech, right? Lots of tech companies have reported single-digit percentages of people of color in their workforces, not just over the past year, but we're starting to see some of those same companies release new numbers that show the exact same thing. Jopwell, that's J-O-P as in Paul, W-E-L-L, is an online hiring platform for minorities that's aiming to change that. Now, the way that they do this is that Jopwell connects black, Latino, and Native American professionals and students with companies for internships, full-time jobs, and other professional development opportunities. And these are some big, well-known companies that span a range of industries. Facebook, Square, Etsy, Pinterest, BuzzFeed, Goldman Sachs, McKinsey, and so many others. So go ahead and take that first step to landing your dream job and sign up at jopwell.com forward slash share forward slash revision path. Again, that's jopwell.com forward slash share forward slash revision path. I'll also put a link to it in the show notes as well. Don't forget to take our audience survey. Just head over to revisionpath.com forward slash survey and fill that out. Everyone who submits a survey will be entered into a giveaway for a $100 amazon.com gift card. Today is the last day for the survey, August 31st, so have your voice heard by going to revisionpath.com forward slash survey. Fill that out. You might win that $100 Amazon.com gift card. Can't beat that. And of course, I really need to hear your feedback so we can help grow and improve the show. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. Uh, Just like last week, we're still at 18 patrons right now for a combined total of $130 per month. A big, tremendous, huge thanks, of course, to all of you who have already pledged your support and appreciation for the show. If you want to become a patron of Revision Path and get access to some really great perks like special giveaways, we actually just did a giveaway last week for some conference tickets, um, early access to future episodes, or a monthly Google Hangout with me and other Revision Path supporters, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash Revision Path and make that happen. Pledge levels are super affordable. They start at just $1 per month. Now let's get into this week's interview. I talked with Denise Nicole Francis. She's a full-stack designer here in Atlanta, Georgia. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. I am Denise Nicole Francis. Overall, I am a creative designer. 
However, I am moving into becoming a full stack designer, which means that I'm currently kind of on the bridge between visual design and UX UI design. How did you first start getting into design? It's kind of tricky. I started mostly with just art. So in high school, I knew that I just wanted to be an artist and I just wanted to be a visual artist, but I wasn't sure how I would be able to live just being a visual artist. And Mm -hmm. so in high school, my guidance counselor kind of suggested advertising. So I did a career shadowing day for advertising. And I was like, I don't like this because I was in a really small town and advertising in a small town is pretty much doing things like the newspaper or like the phone book. (laughs) So architecture was suggested to me. And so I went to school for architecture and that began the design process. And for school, you went to Florida A&M, right? Correct. I went to Florida A&M for architecture, getting my bachelor's and my master's in architecture. What was it like there? How was that experience? It was fun. It was crazy because, I mean, it's architecture school. So you're up all night. You don't really get to know anybody else on campus because you are always in the architecture building. There were a lot of nights where I kind of slept under my desk and ate lunch under my desk. (laughs) So it was crazy, but I learned a lot and it was a lot of fun. Was the architecture department there kind of linked to arts department or anything like that? No, not really. They were more so linked to the engineering department. So we shared the engineering department with Florida State University. And so uh, it was more so linked on the technical side rather than the art side. Okay. All right. And you said you went there for undergrad and for graduate school. Yes, I did. And from there, where did you end up going? So after I completed my master's in architecture, I ended up moving here to Atlanta from Florida And I worked in architecture for about two years. What was that like? It was an eye-opener. There are a lot of things that I love about architecture, but for me, creatively, there were a lot of things missing from architecture. So I took that time to really learn about what I really wanted for my life as a career. I guess, what were those things that were missing? I know that, you know, oftentimes when we're in school and we're studying a particular course or field... Then you get into the real world and you actually start applying it and you're like, I didn't learn this in school. This is totally different. Like what was really different about it? Right. So in school, we did a lot of hands on things. So we did a lot of model building and a lot of sketching and drawing and a lot of designing. And then with doing a thesis, it was more about doing research and then again, doing more design. Whereas when you get into the real world, chances are that you won't be doing a lot of design. There's a very small percentage of architects that actually get to design. Everyone else has to work their way through an extremely long process of CAD drawings and doing red lines. And I just could not see myself sitting in front of the computer every day correcting red lines. (laughs) Yeah, it sort of takes the soul out of what you wanted to do. Yeah, I think so. So you started doing kind of working as an architecture intern. You said, you know what? I don't want to do this. And then you went back to school, right? I did. And actually, I would have never gone back to school if I didn't get laid off. (laughs) Oh, really? I'm one of those people that like kind of fight to the end, kind of fight to the finish. And it's rare that I quit anything. So when I did get that opportunity, that's what I'll call it. I was like, no, I'm going back to school to do something that's going to allow me to really use my imagination. And where did you end up going back to school? I went to the Atlanta campus of Savannah College of Art and Design. (laughs) 
Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah. nice. Now, was it a big shift moving from, I mean, well, not moving, but traditionally being at an HBCU and then going over to an art school, was it a kind of a big shift there? It was a big shift, but it was also refreshing. Just the diversity created a lot of inspiration. More of the big shift came from the learning curve of the new software and whatnot that I would be learning. It was more so there than the atmosphere. And at SCAD, you also studied graphic design. I did. I studied graphic design at SCAD. And one thing that I noted when I was looking at your LinkedIn profile is that you studied for a short time under the late, great Massimo Vignelli. I did. It was probably one of the highlights of my graphic design career. He came in and did a workshop with us for 10 weeks, and we worked hand in hand with him. He would fly in and check to see what our work looked like and give us suggestions and give us great advice. It was amazing. What do you remember most about him? What I remember most about him was more so his personality. So I learned a lot from him design wise. But what I learned from him was that you can be that great and that iconic and still be a nice human being. (laughs) And that's something that I wanted to carry with me throughout my career is that you can become great and become a rock star, but still be kind. Do you think there's a lot of kindness in the design industry now? (laughs) (laughs) I apologize if that comes off as a loaded question, but I had to ask since you mentioned it that way. Yeah, it's definitely a loaded question, but I think it depends on what field you're talking about. There are some professions within the design field that gear more towards an A-type personality. So it can be a challenge to find that kindness. But I do see that a lot of the creative agencies these days are kind of pulling into their policy. We hire nice people. And that's kind of good to see. Yeah, I know there's one community that I'm a part of called Designer News, and their tagline is be nice or else. Right. (laughs) The or else part is like, okay, all right, I'll be nice. I'm not... It almost sounds like a warning or a threat or something. But. Right. And I've gotten <laughs> to talk to a lot of people from different creative agencies that they make it pretty clear. Like, if you aren't nice, you're probably going to get fired. So really learn how to work well with people, check your attitude, and let your design speak for itself, really. Now, by the time this interview airs, you're going to have, or you will have graduated from a program that you're doing at General Assembly. Talk to us about that. So I am in a UX, so a user experience design immersive. And believe me when I say the word immersive, it is extremely immersive. We are in a 10-week course where we are learning all of the fundamentals and basics of UX design and also some user interface design as well. And we aren't only learning the fundamentals, we're also learning how to make those designs really great by doing a lot of user testing and research and whatnot. Is it a lot different from the education that you got at SCAD? I would say not too far different. I got a little bit of it towards the end of my career. They were kind of changing the curriculum at SCAD right at the very end of my career there. But so I'm familiar with some of the methods that are used in user experience design. And I just wanted to kind of strengthen those. Now, I know that there are people listening that are kind of familiar with General Assembly, but they may not exactly know what really goes into these programs. And you mentioned, you know, just earlier that it is like super immersive. Can you talk just a little bit more about that? 
Right. So General Assembly offers workshops. They offer kind of boot camps and these courses that you can take to kind of bridge the gap of what you want to learn in tech. And so for me in the user experience design immersive, we get there at about 9 a.m. and we go all the way till five. And most of the time we go past five (laughs) really late into the evening and we work on a series of five different projects that we can then add to our portfolio that will kind of throw us into the UX world. So I guess it also kind of teaches you a little bit of entrepreneurship as well. Oh, absolutely. Sounds like it. Absolutely. So we have five different projects and the last one is a real life client project. So we are assigned clients and we are working with them and it's basically taking the real world or the real life experience and bringing it into the workshop, which is a nice segue into moving into the field. How's that been so far? It's been great. I think that not only have we been gaining what we need in terms of knowing what we'll be using in the industry, but we're also gaining this network of people and really friends that we can move through this with, we can help each other, we can then look out for each other in the future. And I think it's a really, really positive thing that we can all come together and do this UX thing together and create really great portfolio pieces together. There's been a couple of people that I've talked to before on here, we sort of kind of tried to dissect the efficacy of these types of programs, like a general assembly or something, where people go through, say, a set number of weeks of a curriculum, and then they're able to come out on the other end with the knowledge and the skills to sort of get another job or to move up in their career Mm -hmm. or something like that. What are the plans for you after this is over? The plans for me, I will be seeking employment with a creative agency. I really want to jump in and continue to be immersed in UX. And then I want to speak a little bit on the idea of doing a course like this. So a lot of people don't realize that you are doing probably about 60 hours a week. Whereas if you were taking UX course at a college or at a school, you wouldn't be doing that many hours in a week. And so you end up getting a good amount of fundamentals and learning and lectures and hands-on experiences and office visits so that you can really get a good idea of what you're getting yourself into. It's funny you mentioned that. Someone that I interviewed last week, Pamela Asogba, she's in Washington, D.C., and she went through, I think it was either UX or front end. I can't remember off the top of my head, but she went through a similar immersive like the one that you're going through right now. And then right after she finished, they gave her an offer to teach the course. So apparently, I guess it does give you a lot and equips you with a lot to be able to really go out there and spread this knowledge that you just learned. Yeah, I've seen people who have taken the course become resident designers so that they are building their skills to be able to teach UX. I've also seen people come into UX with a design background already, and they were able to teach other workshops for General Assembly that might contribute to their UX experience. Well, if there are any employers that are out here listening, you know, whether they're here in Atlanta or elsewhere, if you're looking for someone, here she is. (laughs) (laughs) Now, speaking of teaching, you know, you know, look through your resume. Of course, you have an extremely impressive resume. Two things stood out. The first thing was that 
you have taught design as well as an adjunct. Correct. So uh, I traveled a lot for work for a while. And whenever there was an in-between time, I would teach, which is kind of fulfilling for me. So that's something that I would do in the meantime. Was it in-person teaching, online teaching? In-person. So I was in in class every week. Now, how was it shifting into teaching, you know, kind of going from being the student to the teacher? I would say during my SCAD career, I always found myself helping other people. (laughs) And so it wasn't too much of a shift for me. Before I left SCAD, I did a TA position as well as just helping my cohorts and my fellow students with whatever I know. So it really wasn't too much of a crazy shift for me. I kind of fell right into it and was able to just teach what people really need to know in the graphic design industry. Actually, that's sort of a good follow up to the question I was going to ask is what has teaching taught you about design? Teaching has taught me about life design in general. So, yes, there is learning the design fundamentals and then taking them and applying beauty plus function and all of those things. However, you can also take the idea of design and apply it to your life and design everything the way you want it to be in your life. So I've been able to not only teach the design fundamentals or software or beauty versus function or whatever, but also creating the mindset of the students to start to think that they can design the kind of life that they want for themselves. Britt Davis, who is someone that I interviewed last year, She has a very similar philosophy to that about how you can really just kind of design your whole life. So I really, really like that philosophy. That that makes a lot of sense. What kind of keeps you motivated and inspired with all the stuff that you're working on now? I would say the number one thing that keeps me motivated is travel. I love to travel. And a lot of the times when I do travel, I like to film while I'm traveling. It just makes another creative kind of hobby. And I get inspired by the things that I see. And when I film the things, it helps me remember what I saw. And then I can then become inspired from that later when going back and looking at the footage and whatnot. Nice. Where are some of the places you traveled? So last year I went to Australia and New Zealand. (laughs) That was awesome. And I've been a lot of places around the States. A lot of the freelance work that I was doing gave me a lot of opportunity to travel. Where in Australia did you go? Oh, we were all over. So we were touring. (laughs) And so Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney, Byron Bay, we were all over. Yeah, I really want to visit Melbourne one day. I hear it's really nice. Yeah, I surprised me. I kind of thought, oh, I could live here, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I really, really loved Australia. It was amazing. Was design kind of a big part of your childhood? You sort of mentioned earlier how you kind of had the spark, I think, in high school to want to design? Well, I was always artistic, but never in a technical sense. And it's so funny because back then my sister was the one that was the techie and she was always the one coming up with different projects to do. So she would be the one to say, hey, let's write a play or let's build a theme park in the backyard. And I think that she was a really, really, really big part in stimulating my imagination at a young age. And we had a lot of fun together, but I kept those things with me as an adult. And so a big part of my design world is play. What kind of projects and things are you working on now? Any personal projects or stuff like that? So I just got finished with a couple of different projects. So I do some freelancing things. So wedding invitations or flyers, 
I just did some merchandise for a tour. And right at this moment, so the school semester for the summer just got over. So right at this moment, I'm completely just immersed in the rest of the um, UX immersive at General Assembly. Now, speaking, you sort of said something about tour, but the other thing that I saw on your resume that was super impressive is that you've done a lot of work for a Grammy award winning artist. Can you tell us who that is? Yes, that's my friend. Her name is <laughs> her name is India Irie. How did you first start working with her? It's a crazy, weird story, but I was making jewelry and I was kind of just making it for myself as a hobby. And back then I was just a super fan and mm-hmm. I would go to her concert every year for my birthday. And one year I was there with my sister and I had made this bracelet and this t-shirt with India RE all over it. Cause I was so excited. And my sister was like, you should give her your bracelet with your business card. And oh, so yeah. I did. And they actually called me back. So <laughs> ever since then, um, some time went by, but India also went to SCAD. And so we ended up. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. She went in Savannah actually for jewelry design, which is interesting. Nice. And so a couple of years later, she actually hit me up on Twitter and was like, hey, you want to come do some work? And we've just been doing stuff together ever since. Yeah, I saw I looked at your Behance portfolio. And I mean, you did her website, which looks fantastic. You've done tour posters, promotional graphics. That's amazing. That's amazing that you kind of went from being a fan to now kind of working with her. That's, I feel like that's any designer that is also a music fan or a fan of an artist. That's like a dream to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was actually really crazy because when she asked me to work on some things, I was only in my second quarter at SCAD. <laughs> and so I was kind of like, oh, no, I don't know if I know enough. But <laughs> we kind of just went along with it. And she was kind of just like, well, we'll figure it out together. And we did. Well, that's nice. You know, she kind of had that feeling that you could do it. You know, she had that belief in you that you could make it happen. Definitely. Are there any designers out there that you admire? There are. So aside from Massimo Vignelli, which we already talked about, I would say Jessica Walsh is one of my favorites. She is kind of known right now for her work with Tim Goodman in the 40 Days of Dating project. Mm -hmm. And then I would also say an artist or a designer by the name of Candy Chang. She's definitely one of my favorites because she's able to take design and inject a social awareness aspect to it, which is really lovely. Would you say that you're satisfied creatively? Because it sounds like you're really kind of, I don't want to say dipping in all these different pots, but you've done some architecture work have done, you know, designs for, you know, like I said, Grammy Award winning artists. And now you're doing this UX immersive, you taught design. Do you still feel like there's more out there for you? Most definitely. I don't think I'll ever be satisfied, which in my opinion is a good thing. I want to keep striving to just find and figure out all what I can do and how I can make that a design thing. So if it's food, how can we make it designed? If it's clothing, how can we make it designed? photography, anything. How can we take that and make it a design piece? So I'm definitely always going to be searching for the next thing. And honestly, I feel like Atlanta is a great city for all of that stuff. Are you really kind of tapped into what the creative and design scene is here? I think I'm getting there. So with traveling and touring, I was kind of gone for a while. And now that I'm kind of back, 
sort of. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm starting to get more into going to different events and conferences and meeting people. And I would say that that is super refreshing and a lot of fun. Are there any sort of local things here that you've been to that you want to shout out? So the women of UX, I would say that has been amazing to see a lot of other women who are doing UX. AIGA always has some great events and General Assembly right now, because it's my every day, it's my everything right now. They also do a lot of events in-house that keeps things a lot of fresh and fun. I need to go to more local AIGA events. I don't hear about them until like the day before. Right. It's going to happen. It's like, oh, I got something else I got to <laughs> I gotta work on doing. But I know they do have some pretty good events um, year round. Every month they do this roundtable mm-hmm. for people. I think it's called the Studio Owners Roundtable. So like for entrepreneurs and stuff, they have that. A few months ago, they had a, a diversity round, uh, two diversity roundtables, actually. One around race and one around gender. Right. So they're trying to branch out and do some more things. Are you familiar with Lenny Maurer's works with AIGA? I'm not. Lenny, oh, I'm going to mess up her title. <laughs> I hope she doesn't get bad at me. She coordinates and helps with special events. Okay. So I think that she's probably the person that is helping to put on a bunch of different things. Her and I are both on the AIGA Diversity and Inclusion Task Force. So Thanks. I met her actually at that diversity event a few months ago and I was like oh I'm on the task force she's like oh I want to be on the task force so now she's on the task force so sweet yeah it's been a little minute since I've been able to get to an event just because general assembly has so many events each week (laughs) that Mm -hmm. I find myself at all of those well and also like you said you're putting in like 60 hours a week in the immersive so that's something to sneeze at Have you had any mentors or anyone that's kind of really helped you out along the way in this journey? Absolutely. So first I would say my family is my biggest support, but in terms of mentorship, I had the opportunity of having some of the best professors at SCAD. I talk to them often. I get advice from them. We do lunch. I would say that that is the most organic transition from professor to friend or mentor that I've ever had. And it's not just one professor. All of them are very involved in what the alumni are doing and our success. Is there a dream project that you would just love to work on? Like you said, you have done all this kind of stuff with design and you feel like there's so much more out there for you. Yes. Right now, I would say that It would be some sort of digital application. So I don't know exactly what it is, but it would be some sort of digital application that goes along with the actual device. And somehow this digital application and device would help social awareness in some way. So I'm not exactly sure what the dream project is. I just know that I would love to work on a successful social awareness campaign that injects tech and industrial design, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. All right. Where do you see yourself kind of in the next few years? I know this immersive is so, you know, kind of top of mind right now, but let's say it's 2020. What are you going to be working on? I think that it's so hard to say because tech changes so quickly, but just working in a creative agency that allows me to 
remain inspired and to use my imagination and really allows me to travel in order to stay creative. That's where I would see myself. Is there any advice that you'd give to someone that maybe wants to start off in design in graphic design or, or, you know, what have you, what advice would you give them? I would say find the best pieces of graphic design and find more and more and more and find tech and start to read about those things, read blogs, find people on Instagram, follow them, follow good design so that you can start to hone your eye for design. I think learning graphic design is easy, but training yourself to have a good eye is difficult. So throwing yourself headfirst into design and just kind of studying on your own and reading books would be my suggestion. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, what do you think you would be working on? I would say probably fashion. (laughs) I still think that that's design, but I love the idea of taking just a piece of fabric and constructing it to make something amazing. So I would find myself in the world of maybe beauty and fashion. So one thing that I sort of wanted to talk about, I, I didn't want this interview to end without us really going into this subject, but... I want to talk about kind of diversity in the design field and everything like that, because you really worked across a lot of different, you really kind of worked across, I'd say, the spectrum of design. You've worked in architecture. You have done work for like big professional clients. Now you're doing this kind of UX immersive sort of thing. How important to you would you say diversity is as it relates to this industry? I would say that it is extremely important. I can't say how many times I have gone online just to check out creative agency and kind of looked at their bulk of employment and the diversity is just completely lacking. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad. You know, I think that there are a lot of diverse people out there who are really, really talented or have the potential to become rock stars, you know, and I think that more people of different ethnicities and different people should give themselves the chance to see if they could be good at design and tech. And, you know, it's really sad to see that that's lacking. And I'm hoping that a lot more people will give it a try, you know? Well, I know that we've got, you know, these organizations like Black Girls Code, Code 2040, et cetera, these organizations that are help kind of putting more people into the pipeline, so to speak, which is, you know, at least arming them with the knowledge and the skills and the interest of tech and design, I guess, you know, by proxy, but arming them with all of that so they can then come into this industry. Have you found, and maybe, you know, Atlanta is a bit of an outlier with this because, you know, the city is majority, you know, black, but have you found like in in the UX immersive or even like at SCAD that, there are more black women that are present that are doing this work? Absolutely not, which is... Really? Yeah. There are a lot of black women at SCAD. When it comes down to graphic design or the tech side of things, you don't see that many black women. And even in general assembly, I mean, there's only two of us. I don't know if that was intentionally done, but you know, it would have been great to see more opportunity or more black people there. You know, Mm -hmm. I've seen things like Amplify for Good or Goody Hack. And 
I've seen a lot of black people there, but then, cause I've done a lot of hackathons. So once you actually get in the room and start hacking away, you're not really surrounded by black people, which is interesting. I don't know why. I think that the black girls code and all those things are wonderful and we need more things like that. But currently they feel like specialized things. Whereas it would be great to see black kids coding as a normalized thing. So just like your parents put you in soccer or ballet or tap or whatever, they should think about putting you in code when you're a kid so that you're getting it then. And it's something that doesn't seem so scary as you get older. Coding is not scary, people. (laughs) That's really interesting that diversity is not here in Atlanta, because I feel like here it would definitely it would be here. So that I don't know. That's a little disconcerting to hear. I think it's getting there. But I mean, coming from me as a person who cares about design and tech, I mean, obviously, I would like to see it move a little quicker. But I mean, at least it's moving. So that's good. It would just be great to see it be something that's a little more normal. So if I say as a black female that I know how to code, it shouldn't be shocking. Right. You know, and like you said, with these organizations, it's starting to push the needle forward on that. I mean, I'm not sure that there will be something really drastic that will happen that will change it. I mean, it's something which over time will start to become more commonplace and more normalized. I mean, you know, I might be showing my age here, but when I was in high school and and then middle school and stuff, we had keyboarding. We had keyboarding classes, which was basically typing. Yep, me too. (laughs) (laughs) And this was, I mean, we had computers. We had like, well, honestly, we had like Apple IIe computers, but eventually once I got to high school, then we actually had, I think they were Macintoshes. They were running like Netscape or something. It was a while ago, but... (laughs) But even then, like to put those courses and things in there so it's not something that is weird, foreign thing by the time you get to college and you're like, oh, and I have to do all my because I started out like typing up stuff and term papers and things on a typewriter. And then by the time I you know, got out of high school, I was on a computer. So it was this weird kind of shift, like when you're growing up in the late 80s, going through the 90s, that shift of how technology starts to become something which is more normalized and even personalized in our culture as it just drifts into so many, you know, different facets and nooks and crannies and things like that. So I think it's going to take some time to get there. It's a start. It's a start, I think. Yeah. And now that I think about it in high school, I did take sort of a CAD slash coding class. But at the time that I was taking it, I honestly had no idea what I was doing. Had someone explained to me, and they probably just didn't know, but had someone explained to me that, okay, you can take this track and you can get CAD and a little bit of coding so that you can move forward with this after high school, I probably would have done it. But I had no idea what I was really doing. I was just able to follow along and remember the code. I just don't. I didn't know what I was doing. So it would have been nice to know what I was doing and to be aware that that could be a career path for me. Because with looking for, again, something that could be artistic, but could actually be a career, I think that that could have helped me make a better decision then on which career path to take. And that's something that's worth mentioning. The fact that you could have known in high school that this was a viable career option. Right. 
could you know, like you said, that could have helped like maybe change the tide or, or turn the tide. A lot of people that I've interviewed, for example, they didn't really get the notion that, oh, this is something I can do for a job until they were either in college or well out of college. Right. I didn't even like it, like it almost got like a late start. I didn't even know what graphic design was until I was in architecture. Like I didn't completely understand what graphic designers did until I was like, okay, I'm making this jewelry. I want to sell it online. Maybe I should buy a Mac and learn how to make my first website. And that's how it started. So I would go on my lunch break during while I was working in architecture and I would work on my jewelry website. Eventually it became, okay, I'm starting to like doing this more than I'm liking going to work. So what do I do? (laughs) (laughs) And that's where it started. Well, it's always good to have that side hustle, especially when it, it ends up becoming your main hustle. So that's a good thing. Right. And then I was able to then take the jewelry design and make it a graphic design thing to where it became laser cut products and things that I would create in Illustrator and then learn how to manufacture myself or who to send it to to manufacture. So definitely started doing graphic design without knowing I was doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you online? Absolutely. So they can find me on LinkedIn. I believe you can find me just under Denise Francis. Also, I have a Behance site and you can also find me there under Denise Francis. But my website is creativesouldenisenicole.com. And then you can also find me on things like Twitter and Instagram. Both of those handles are D-E-N-I-S-U-81. So that's Denisu81. And that's my name in Japanese. (laughs) But you can find me there. Sounds good. Well, Denise, thank you again so much for coming on the show for just talking about the work that you're doing. I think it's really interesting, the program, like as you mentioned, through General Assembly and really the myriad of experiences that have kind of brought you to this point where you're kind of living out your life creatively. So thank you again so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. And I encourage anyone who's interested in doing tech at all to check out General Assembly. Even if you're not sure, just go to the open house, especially you black people out there. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Denise Nicole Francis, and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Denise and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. When it comes down to email marketing, MailChimp makes it simple. They have great reporting and autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover, and you can save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code BACKTOSCHOOL at checkout. And lastly, there's Creative Market, which is a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. Head on over to creativemarket.com, pick up those six free goods that are available for free every Monday, and if you see something else that you like, use our discount code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. This 
episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro audio by Yellow Speaker. The outro audio, This Is My Tape For You, is courtesy of Jimmy Square. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us get new listeners, and I'll even read your review right here on the show. And, of course, I also have to thank our episode sponsor, Jopwell. Take the first step to landing your dream job by signing up at jopwell.com forward slash share forward slash revision path. Revision path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and show your support. Pledge level start at just $1 per month and you'll get great access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.